Welcome to Conversations with Claire. I'm your host, Claire Bates. I'm a movement, nutrition, and mindset coach through my app, Wellness with Claire. Podcast host, coach at The Collective in Austin, Texas, sober alcoholic, brand builder, and competitive hybrid athlete. I've created this podcast to share inspiring stories and have meaningful conversations in hopes that we can create community together to learn and grow. Oh, and I hope to make you laugh. <laughs> Welcome to Conversations with Claire. Let's talk about coaching and how to get from where you are now to where you want to be. Wellness with Claire is my very own coaching platform where I offer personalized meal plans, personalized workout plans based on your goals, accountability through community and weekly group coaching calls, mindset coaching and tracking features for results. I also offer one-on-one -on -one coaching, which gives you full app access, direct access to me via WhatsApp and 100% accountability with me, including weekly video calls. Wellness is a mental, physical and spiritual experience. The system works together as a whole, and I'm here to help you live in alignment with your principles and values and actualize a quality of life beyond your current dreams. Check the show notes or the links in bios on socials to find more information about how to get involved with Wellness with Claire today. Hello and welcome back. Today's episode is going to be one that I am super stoked about. It's a bit different than some of the ones I've done recently, and it is with an expert within the space of CrossFit. It is Drew Crandall of Misfit Athletics. So hello, Drew. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for saying yes. So really quickly, he is the founder of Misfit Athletics, which is actually was founded in 2012, right? You're a decade into this bad boy. Yeah, and the, the garage gym at my house that was the original affiliate was 2009, so it's been a long journey. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I've got noted down that, so you've got Misfit Athletics, which by the way is programming and coaching for CrossFit athletes. You also founded Sharpen the Axe. You are a co-founder in Proper Fuel, and then Misfit Gym in Portland, Maine, which is what you opened in 2010, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you've got some skin in the game and you've been around for a minute. <laughs> yeah. When you're young and you get out of college, you think it's a really good idea to dive right in. And I think there's something to that sort of ripping the bandaid off and, you know, you may start to make better decisions as you go. But I think that youthful confidence was the seed that got all of this going like, eh, why not? Right. It worked. I'm sure it's had many bumps along the way that we could do an entire episode yeah, purely on. <laughs> for sure. For sure. But, yeah. uh, it looks to be going well. So I always like to start the episodes with like the how we met, right? And guys, we've never even spoken to one another before until just now. So how we met is now. But I didn't want to spoiler this story for you until we were on episode. So I'm going to tell you now how I was introduced to you okay. and the whole Misfit crew. And so that simply is that I met Xander in 2020, I believe. And he was part of the Misfit crew. He's one of you guys' athletes. He's been working with Misfit for years now. So anyway, shout out Xander. And I just, uh, I he had shared something about you guys' podcast. I'm not sure, but either way, that's what turned me on to your podcast. So 2020, I start to listen to you guys' podcast. 
and Misfit Athletics, guys, if you have not checked it out. And I mean, they just have so much wonderful content. What's the frequency that you're currently putting out episodes right now? So honestly, pretty close to when you started listening was when we tried to go to weekly. With our travel schedule, it can get a little challenging, but for the most part, we record weekly. Okay. Yeah. And so there have been ebbs and flows through the past couple of years where I'll consume a bunch all at once or I'll consume it every week or either way, but I've consumed hours and hours and hours of that podcast over the past couple of years. And so another little tidbit that I love to point out is that, so 2021, the open, you guys had on the CrossFit leaderboard, you had us put in some Misfit Athletics competitor. I don't remember the the hashtag hashtag we used. And then you get the leaderboard. Yeah. I put the hashtag in. And I got a shout out for 21.1 for being on the leaderboard. That's awesome. Very cool. (laughs) Yeah, I was like listening to the episode and I'm like getting out of my car, walking into the gym when I lived in Oklahoma and I just barely caught it. Like the the part where you guys went through the leaderboard and my name was on there and I was like, oh, wait, what? (laughs) Yeah. So wall walks through everybody off, but uh, somehow that worked out for me. Anyway, so that's my introduction to you and we'll dive deeper into like why I've continued to consume so much of that. But before we do that, I just, so you said it was like straight out of what college for you? Yeah. So out of college, I graduated with a construction management degree and was a project manager for a construction company. And at the same time, opened an affiliate in my garage at my house. So I would work my standard nine to five all day and then come home and coach in the evenings. And I did that from I believe 2010 to 2016. And that was 2016 was when I made the leap. If I don't make this jump and do these things full time, I'm not going to get to a point where I can support myself, my family, you know, sort of in that way. So it was a little bit of having faith in what was going to happen. So yeah, 2010 to 2016 was both jobs. And then now, I mean, I definitely don't have less work. I got a lot more work now. Yeah. So we're just doing it as a passion project for six years, basically, right? I mean, and it still ultimately is a passion project. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I mean, in 2012, we launched the blog for competitors, which is now Misfit Athletics. And from 2012 to 2016 was pretty crazy because it was the makings of a full-time job. And we were traveling all over the world doing seminars and coaching competitions And I was still had this foot in the other life that I had. So we also didn't charge anything for a very long time in the blog. It was just workouts on a blog. So we sort of had to figure out simultaneously how I go in full time and there's plenty of work, but we had to monetize. So it was a step-by-step process. Yeah. So you start coaching clients in person in 2009 and then the gym opened, the gym itself opened in 2010, or was that still out of your garage. So the affiliate, we were affiliated in my garage. So customers were very confused when they put in the address and pulled up and they were at somebody's house. And typically someone was in the garage exercising with the doors open, but it's main. So some of the year definitely can't have those garage doors open. And they would, everyone would do the same thing. They'd walk slowly. They'd be looking around, very confused. They say, is this CrossFit MF? And we're like, yeah, 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 come on in. Come on in. So I honestly, I bought my first house based on the fact that I could hang rings in the garage. I was like, oh, this ceiling in the garage is great. It's super high. So I can get my rings in here and do my muscle ups. And that sort of is a nod to like, I was very into the competitive side when I started. It just made sense to start the gym and coach and do all that. And then that's how I found out that the coaching side was really my passion. That's awesome. So you came into it. What was your sports background? Like, did you play sports in, in college, stuff like that? Like, how did you wind up 
falling into CrossFit and then wanting to be competitive at it and then coach competitors? It was a, yeah, it was a bit of a journey. I played football and baseball my whole life. And when I got done playing baseball in college, I just had to prove it to myself that I could do it if I wanted to, a bit of a young man's ego type of situation and didn't really want to play. So my sophomore or junior year of college, I used the money that was supposed to go towards the baseball trip to Florida to buy a snowboard. And that was the end of my sports career. And while I felt good about the decision in terms of I didn't really want to play baseball, and I wanted to be able to do things like snowboard and explore other things in my life, I didn't really have anything to fill that hole. My entire life had been, my identity had been as an athlete and practice and training and doing all those things. I didn't really have that anymore. And it took four or five years to really find out what to do. I didn't really like going to the gym and working out by myself with my headphones in. Anytime that I'd worked out in the gym before, it was with, you know, a sports team, sure. which is a much more fun atmosphere. You know, I, I got into boxing for a while. I took some like MMA classes. Like I was really trying to find something. And then I got into CrossFit and sort of the, the rest is history there. Okay. And if we look back at the timeline of CrossFit too, you actually got in pretty early, right? Like 2009, it was still very in infancy. And I mean, as a sport, it's still very young, right? But we've got a lot of years under our belt. Like at 2009, I mean, it was still widely unknown. So you actually came in quite early. And the fact that you're still here is also a really interesting piece too, because the journey of sticking with it and growing alongside it and all what a journey I'm sure that that is as, oh as it yes, just <laughs> as the sport changes every single year, literally every year, all of everything is new. Yeah. Yeah. So then you're doing the programming through the blog and then eventually, so it's just, it's really organically slowly grown. And how many years did you say that you were producing content for coaching in the format of blog or anything like that before you actually charged a dime? I think that's an interesting thing to just note myself. Yeah. So people came to us fairly early, even before the blog existed and asked for programming. And it was like old school, even before people used Google Docs, it was open office. It was the free version of Microsoft Office. So we literally just type out the entire program and email it to them. And it got to the point where people knew that we wrote programming that was more tailored toward competitive athletes. And it just made no sense the way that we were doing it. So my now business partner came in and made us a WordPress site so that we could actually have a blog. And I want to say, I don't know if I'm going to get this exactly right, but I don't think that we started charging for programming until either 2014 or 2015. So we had thousands of blog subscribers from all over the world. And if we didn't sell them a t-shirt or they didn't come to a training camp, it was just, we had an affiliate and that was sort of our business model. And then when most of your customers are remote and elsewhere, you have sort of have to start to figure out what that means for monetizing. And that's remote coaching, paid subscriptions, all that stuff. Yeah. And that model is still something that people within the CrossFit space really, I feel, struggle with figuring out what that looks like. And at what point is it appropriate to monetize it? And then how do you do so in a way that makes you feel like you have meaningful impact and also like moving that needle, as you guys say, right? So what I want to bring back to is the fact that 2020 was around the time when things shifted with me within the gym and speaking about drawing it back to me here, yippee-ki-yay, I'm, I'm a human, but you guys through your podcast at that time, although you never knew me, you significantly impacted my approach to training in a positive way. 
through the content that you were producing on your podcast. Because you guys were talking about things like overtraining, under-recovering, athlete IQ, which we're going to walk further into here. But all of this stuff was so foreign to me. And I came from never playing any sports growing up and didn't start to attend a gym till I was in my 20s. I go to a CrossFit gym and for years, I'm talking for four years at least, I think it was a little over four years, I continued to show up to that facility with the narrative of I can't, I never will, I'm not an athlete, all of that, right? I continued to show up. So for year one, maybe I went three times a week. And then the next year, maybe I went four times a week. And it was just a slow, gradual thing. But CrossFit was pretty popular where I lived. I liked the community aspect of it, but I just simply associated for myself, I'm just not an athlete. I never was an athlete. The way that those people move, being coachable was very challenging for me for many years of just get the heat off of me. Don't look at me. I know I'm not moving well, but I literally don't know how to, and I don't think I'm capable of it. So just please go away. So it was a slow thing for me, but I remember at that time I was doing more and more and more volume of training, thinking I'm going to get better by doing more. And what I was finally able to start learning in 2020, 2021, and certainly now as I get the opportunity to be this fitness professional today, I completely understand how incorrect that frame of mind is, but I didn't at that point. So you guys really do, you are training high level CrossFit athletes. You are writing programming for very high level athletes, but through the podcast and, and through all of it, you are all of those things that you're teaching those athletes are things that are really, really relatable for that newer person or that person who their athlete IQ is a lot lower because it really was impactful for me to hear that you guys were telling your high-level athletes to take entire weeks off. Like that to me was crazy. And I remember listening to it and just being like, wait, wait, those guys, huh? I mean, it just confused me. I think maybe now I just want to throw the ball back at you to kind of elaborate on like some of the ideology and like how maybe you got there and then how you would speak to somebody about stuff like that. Yeah, of course. So the question from the very beginning when we started the blog, because we were so used to working with people in person. So this idea of how is it possible for me to coach what started out as dozens and then hundreds and then thousands of athletes? How is it possible for me to do that? I don't know the athlete. I don't know what their strengths and weaknesses are. This idea that I could put out a program that would serve everybody and then the ability for us to audit their movement patterns and their mindset and their habits outside of the gym. That was always the question. And potentially to my detriment from a like business standpoint, if I don't think I can accomplish the thing in the way that makes sense to me, I just can't wrap my mind around putting something out and hope people kind of like it anyways. So the concept of being a remote coach to the masses as a company really started to take shape because I felt that way. So it started with what we call our variable training system. And the easiest way to explain it is when I go to write a block of programming, I'll write what I think makes the most sense for an athlete. And then both to help my remote coaches and other athletes, I fill in the other things that they could do on that day that would fit so that if they do make a swap or they do add extra volume or if a remote coach needs an idea for how to advance this, it is there. So an athlete can go in and do the mandatory pieces that we suggest and then add what works for them, or they can even swap out some of the mandatory for the other pieces. So that made me at first feel a lot better about 
it's not one size fits all, but there are sort of puzzle pieces that can be moved around for athletes. And then the question is, okay, so the program is where it needs to be, but we don't know how it's being executed. We don't know how the person again is moving and we don't know if they're showing up recovered, if they're doing warmups and cool downs. So that's where the YouTube channel and the podcast came in, where it was really just like, if you want to follow our programming, like I'm passionate about the affiliate level all the way through the CrossFit games. You just have these really special relationships at each level. And you realize that the personal relationships that you build are the things that are the most important. And of course, there are relationships that get a lot more people to sign up for your programming. And there are other ones that are just fulfilling on a very deep personal level. Sure. So that barrier to entry for me is just, we say it a lot on the podcast is read the blog posts, watch the podcast, watch the YouTube videos, jump into the discord and interact with the community. If you do all those things and follow the programming, then we can really help you move the needle as opposed to just, I read the words on the screen and it is what it is. Because to me, that just isn't enough to make that connection with an athlete and really help them move forward. Right. Yeah. Cause that newer athlete, I mean, anyone is always going to benefit from having a coach. The high performer needs the coach just as desperately as, as the person who's more novice for sure. Yeah. But certainly just reading programming when you're relatively new is overwhelming. And then thinking about those additional pieces, like they don't know what they need to do and that's okay. They don't need to know. They need to continue to show up and try and really that's it. And it will start to make more sense as they get further in, but that's a gradual journey. So I kind of, athlete IQ is a term that you guys use pretty frequently and I love it. And so if you were to define what you feel like athlete IQ means to you and to Misfit Athletics, how would you define that? So a lot of it is about knowing yourself and realizing that every single day when you get up in the morning and you have your routines, you go to the gym, you warm up and we want you to know what warm up feels the best. You go into your workout, your workout strategy is a hypothesis that you're going in and you're trying to prove or disprove it. And then you make your way through the day and you make all of these decisions and you have the ability to learn from all of them. You have the ability to know there are three points to the athlete IQ triangle is mind, body, and experience. And as you're working through the day, you get so many data points and so much different perspective on different things to be able to take that data down, look at it, potentially you got to look at it the next day or the next week so that the emotional attachment that you have to it has died down a little bit. But just this ability to, if you're an athlete, take in all of the things that you're doing and try to fine tune them as you go. And there are a lot of subcategories underneath each one, but for us, it's really about you have experiences, whether it's what you're eating or the energy systems that you're attacking, how you do a movement, do you log your workouts and say, oh, that was a bad strategy or that actually worked really well. I got to remember that. Are you doing all those things and then using that information moving forward? Because we've seen some, I mean, just absolutely incredible athletes that they show up to the gym the next day and everything's gone. It's just not there. They're not calling back on these things and they're just doing what they do best. They're going into their body and it looks impressive on a day-to-day basis, but then they go into competition and it potentially just isn't coming together and they don't have the weekend that they want to because the other athletes are really paying close attention to, I did this, this was the result. Now this is the information that I can use to move forward and improve. Right. Right. And without data, we don't have anything to go off of. And so tracking earlier than they think that they need to is going to be really beneficial too. 
spending a lot of energy in my mind here thinking about that earlier person, as I know that you really do work with all levels. But I just think that changing that narrative for any individual, like if you are showing up to a gym facility and you are working hard, you get to be an athlete. Like you are an athlete. And so you're an athlete at the stage of your journey that you're at. And maybe it doesn't look the same as this super high performer in whatever they're up to, but you still are an athlete and your capacity can grow. And so if you start to reframe your mind around, okay, so this athlete IQ that you're talking about and growing that, you get to start that now. If you're somebody who has some curiosity about growing your capacity, you qualify. And so then how do we do that? And data is a great place to start, stick with, and grow alongside. So I love the three points there. I guess for an earlier person or someone who's getting back into their fitness journey or wherever they are, I guess just a newer person to your coaching, what would be something that you would say, like, let's start here. Like we want to build our athlete IQ. We want to build our capacity. We want to become better. Where do you begin with that newer person? So I typically try to identify which point of that triangle is going to move the needle the most for them. And it's usually not very challenging to figure that out. And with a beginner, a lot, it is that experience angle. And one of the main reasons that I'm so passionate about fitness is how it translates to everyday life and how stacking those small steps and victories, which inside the gym is your standard linear progression. I did my squats at 135 this week and then 140 and then 145. I think that translates so well to everyday life that I try to find some bridge and connection with the athlete so that they can really see how this concept works. And the gym is the easiest place to teach it. So it doesn't really matter if you get on, let's say the everyone's favorite machine, the assault bike, and you're averaging 100 watts at the beginning of your journey within a workout. I make sure that the athlete knows that and they see that especially at the beginning, getting up to 110 watts and then 120 watts and then 130 watts is going to really give them an opportunity to see how this works. And I think the mistake or the trap that we have in those moments is I'm holding 100 watts and this person's holding 400. And you really try to get them to, again, from an experiential level, it's your experience and it's sort of you versus you. You have the ability to say, okay, This is where I was yesterday and I want to improve. That is my end goal. So I'm just going to try to get better at this thing. And when I have that data and I have that experience down on paper, I can see those victories stack up and then we can really get them to buy into the idea of delayed gratification. Like this is really going to go somewhere if you stick with it because 10% and then 10% and then 10% really turns into something really special on the other end. If you put your head down and come up for air in six months or nine months. Yeah. I love that bringing their attention to the data. And there are so many different data points. And that's yet again, where having a coach is such a cool thing because as somebody being coach, you don't know to look at the Watts. You don't know to look at the stroke rate. You don't even know what those letters and numbers and whatever on the screen mean at all. You entirely are going on your rate of perceived exertion, how you feel about it that day, which differs day to day based on a number of different variables stress factors, things like that. And so, however, if you have a coach such as yourself who understands if I can get you to see the range that you're hanging out in with these different data points, then we can flex that capacity up. And then I think another thing that you guys certainly talk about that was helpful to me and is something I regularly think about 
now as well is like training versus competition and how they're very different things and how there are like times in training, regardless of if you're someone who's wanting to compete at a high level of CrossFit or whatever or not, like yet again, all of this stuff just translates beautifully to life, to your own, whatever you're up to. And so it can go anywhere. But I think about, I was just going in for years, just like full send. I don't know. I just try real hard and just beat the shit That's out of myself. That's old school CrossFit. <laughs> That's how we all started. Right. And then you guys were talking about, there are days where we do come in and we do full tilt a whirl it and see what happens and where the wheels fall off. And there are days where we just come in and get the movements in and like that matters. And that is not less important than the days where you really test your capacity and maybe fall off the edge on accident. So I guess kind of tell me a little bit about your approach today as a coach with an athlete on that side of things. Like if you look at a week for an athlete, like what do you think that they should be up to on a weekly basis for those types of things? So there are a lot of factors. It depends on where the athlete's at, what's going on within the season, but it's really important for both the coach and the athlete to understand where they are at. So how far away are we from competition? What are we currently working on? So I could have an athlete who my main thing for them is we need to build some strength in the off season and we've got two lifts and three accessories. I want that in one session. So really spread out, no conditioning in that same session. And then later in the day, I want you to put what you have left. I want you to really kind of understand that gas tank and know where I'm at physically and mentally and put that into what you're doing. And let's say you have two conditioning pieces for the afternoon. There's a pretty good chance that you're only going to end up going in and doing one of those things. So a lot of times we try to identify where we want to put our eggs into what baskets. And I really find that your ability as a coach to, and it's not always completely realistic, but sit down and look at a week in advance of programming with your athlete on a weekly basis, you can make a ton of progress that way because they can sort of let you know where their confidence lies. If they're not feeling so great about this, you know, maybe they've got a full-time job and I don't think that's going to happen on Wednesday. So do we move pieces? Do we remove stuff? So it's really just taking a really good look at what's written down and then knowing the athlete and knowing where I think their gas tank is going to be at different times. And what's interesting is athlete to athlete, conditioning might be the thing that fries their nervous system. Strength work might be what fries their nervous system. Some of them want to hit the couch on a Thursday and not do anything at all. And then I have another athlete, if he doesn't do zone two work and swim on his rest day, he feels beat up the following day. So there's a lot to the nuance between athletes. And again, where their strengths and weaknesses lie, especially at the highest level, really having that intimate like knowledge of how athletes react to certain things and what they need is super important. Yeah. So definitely prioritizing like, okay, for this athlete, we need to build strength or for this athlete, we need to work on our movement patterns in our Olympic weightlifting or gymnastics, or for you, we need to work on your aerobic capacity. So we're going to put more energy towards building exactly. that thing based on what your needs are and what you want to work on. And then the other stuff is just complementary, and that awareness, whoa, in itself then at that point, the ball is back in their court. They can either do the work and get better in that area or not. And that's up to them. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But then also intensity within the week. Like, do you ever recommend a full rest day or is everything at least an active recovery day? Like for you guys, what you feel works for most, maybe not all, 
but what you feel works for most, what does that look like intensity versus low intensity, et cetera, over the course of seven days? Yeah. So when it comes to rest days, our typical recommendation is one active rest day where there's something like swimming intervals or getting some, we call it Maffetone work on our website, but zone two type cardio. And then on the other one, what's unique is I need to know more about the person to know what they need on that second rest day. So the athletes that I'm working with that are going to semifinals or the CrossFit games, they're the type of people that naturally, they've done studies on this, where they find that if someone is consuming a certain amount of calories and glucose, and they're that type of person, they're going to move no matter what. They don't even need you to tell them to go out and go for a walk. They're going to get up off their couch and move around. They're going to play with their dog. They're going to do all these different things. And that is what's given them the ability to have their metabolic conditioning even before they started CrossFit. They just naturally need to move. So someone like that, I can just say, do your thing. Somebody on the other end of the spectrum who just likes to sit around on their rest days and hang out, I'm going to ask them to accumulate 60 minutes of walking on those days just because it's really hard to move waste particles in the blood out without your heart rate getting up a little bit. And it's hard to get that lymph fluid moving without muscle contraction and sort of moving things around within your body. So if you've got right now, we're going through our volume squat cycle, that's extremely challenging. And if you're going to do five by five, four by four and three by three every single week, you're going to do that. And then you're going to sit on the couch on maybe Sunday all day and then move around. Monday is not going to go very well for you. So we do try to make sure that we know with an athlete where they lie. I know a lot of high-level athletes, they can park it and not move. And yeah. <laughs> it's not the greatest and thing And that's to not do what they need. Day. Gosh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I, I say a couple different things for myself, which by the way, I do not personally have aspirations of being a games athlete at all. I love to train CrossFit. I love to train hard. It's just fun. Yes. <laughs> that's where I'm at in my journey. But I like to say a couple of different, I banish myself to walking or biking one day a week. Like I banish myself. I don't let myself do anything else at least one day sure. per week. And then there are just some other days where for me, strength is a current focus. So I make sure to just do that and not worry about the conditioning as much because that's the stuff I love. Anyway, I do think that bringing up the point of moving blood and how important that is. And so not having the intention of doing anything that's high skill, high heart rate or anything like that, but like the importance of even just every single day moving your body. If you're somebody who's wanting to continue to improve in life in general, getting that blood moving is really, really important. And then, yeah, for that higher level athlete, like you've got to move it around because you're going to have to perform on Monday. And so exactly. if you just let it sit, you are in trouble. <laughs> and I think it's important to say, no matter where you're at, you need to do it because you might be relying on your mind on Monday. You might be relying on, you know, if you're going in and, and you know, your passion is your profession and you do have that day, you're going to have the same feeling mentally that the athletes have with their body just the ability to essentially be a human and breathe fresh air, see sunlight, again, get that blood flow, get that muscle activation. When you wake up on Monday morning and you've got a big meeting or you're shooting a podcast, or you're doing whatever it is you're doing, that mental acuity that you're chasing is comes from a lot of similar places to what athletes are looking for from their body. Yeah. So another thing that I have to ask about is we have to talk about the bad rap that CrossFit gets for injuries. Yep. Okay. And I'm just curious for your perspective on that as someone 
who has been training it yourself for many, many years with your own body and with hundreds, thousands of athletes at this point for well over a decade. What is your perspective on that argument? So I have transitioned from a early 20s male to a mid 30s male. And my answer to this question could not be more different. It's a honey and vinegar type of situation. I used to write blog post retorts to people back in the early 2010s about this stuff because I felt like it wasn't fair. Like I know better and it's not fair that you're saying this about this sport that I love. So I need to come at you and attack you. Now it's like, you know what? I'm really passionate about this thing. And I have this, like, I say this and it sounds like a bit much, but it really isn't. My coaching staff at the affiliate across the street is like the best in the world, like the best of the best. And if I know that I can convince someone to come in the door, that we can put them through a safe experience that's going to change them physically, mentally, emotionally on all kinds of different levels, my job is to really convince people that it is a safe place and it is fun and they can come in and do this. On a practical level, when people get injured in our gym, they came from a kickball game or they decided to get into a new maybe endurance sport or do certain things. We have very, very, very few injuries and having hundreds of people walk in and out the door and take our CrossFit classes. So if I know better, then I know that we can teach through action and not necessarily come on a podcast like this, have you ask me the question and I start swearing and let, <laughs> letting it fly just in terms of how passionate I am about this. So it's really about, for me, redirecting the energy. I know better. I know CrossFit is safe and I know how to teach it safely. So I think my advice to anybody who thinks that way is find a good affiliate, join it. And I think you're not only have your mind changed, but then your life will probably change after that. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys do spend a good bit of energy regularly on the podcast as well, talking about movement patterns and prioritizing safe movement in order to get better. Right. So I know you guys spend a ton of energy on that as well. So with your affiliate, what does that look like for like size, volume of classes and coaches, things like that? Like, what does that model look like for you today? As I'm sure it's shifted over the years. Yeah. With COVID, we had a bit of a happy accident just in terms of we never had class signups before. We are a good size gym, but we are in Portland, Maine. So we don't pull from the same populations as a lot of gyms do. So we had to start doing signups so that we knew how many of those spaces to tape off and how far away certain people were. And then, you know, we had to have the the monitor in the gym for the parts per million of CO2 or whatever it was. So we got into that and really found that accountability for athletes in terms of signups was super important. We were getting better attendance and we were getting better classes. So, I mean, there is a wait list. I believe right now our cap is either like 15 or 16. We have a good size facility and we do have the luxury of, it's not on purpose, but almost always a second, third or fourth coach in the class, which definitely helps just with your lifting next to your partner in class. And you see something, you know, have the ability to sort of say something. So people come to our gym and they do a nine session beginners class. And then they take one of their first classes with both their beginners coach and the coach who's coaching the regular class. And then it's sort of off to the races. And we've just been doing this for so long that if we keep it within that class size, it's very manageable for our coaches to make sure that 
everybody's safe and the beginners get the attention they need to progress. Yeah. So with those additional coaches in classes, you have the primary coach that's coaching the class. And then are those other coaches involved in those classes pretty empowered to speak up? Yeah, they are, but you do have to be careful with not trying to take over the class. So Absolutely. it's a, you know, yes. it's it's a tidbit here and there. And it's funny that I mentioned that because that's my specialty when it comes to affiliate classes. I'm the like light bulb moment type coach. Yeah. And then my staff is amazing at running the class and running it on time and having these thoughtful progressions for the group without running over where I lack sort of organization skills. And I'm like, well, if they want to learn, it might take 90 minutes. And that just does not work at the affiliate level. So being able to throw those little pieces in is probably the extent to which you can be helpful without drawing the attention to yourself. Yeah, it's definitely a balancing act. I remember after I got my L1, and then I guess around the time I got my L2, I actually hit the road and started to finally identify as an athlete or as a coach, but I had my L1 for quite a while. I wouldn't say a word. And it was partially because I wanted to respect the coach of the class sufficiently. And then partially because I was like, well, I don't know if I really, whatever. But I do think there's an important balancing act there of like, you do have the ability to help somebody. And certainly if you see them moving in such a way where it's going to, you know, but that's just stuff that I kind of, I guess, nerd out on too, is as you get to be a coach, you start to observe everything and you like start to want to comment on everything. And, and at what point should you, and should you not is, I don't know, I guess a social awareness thing, but anyway, I do have so much love for this thing that we do. And of course, yeah. Yeah. And so it has so significantly positively impacted my quality of life. And what I think of is things like there is something so wildly empowering about being able to have body awareness, stability, mobility, proficiency with a barbell. I mean, we could just go down the list of all of these things that CrossFit gives to a person for years of practice and hopefully with a coach that observes their movement patterns and keeps them moving well and just how much that really is an empowering experience. And so I want people to experience that and try to direct them to two coaches and two facilities where they're going to get that oversight and care. And so I just appreciate what you guys are doing over there at Misfit, because even from a distance, you never even knew who I was or anything until today, honestly, really. So I know that you know that your impact as a group as Misfit Athletics is significant, but it truly is. Because even though we never knew one another at that time, all the way a couple of years ago, it really did help me slow down and stop just beating myself into the ground all the time. And as a result, I got better. And that was because of things that you guys were talking about. And so I really appreciate the work that you guys are doing there. And, and that's one thing I think that can potentially, so people are surprised about the, the level of access that they have to us. Like if you follow Misfit Athletics and you want to chop it up about any of the stuff that we've been talking about, you can go on Discord, you can DM me on Instagram, I'm going to respond. And I think that's one of the things that separates us, but people are typically very surprised by that. And a lot of times don't reach out to us and say the things like what you just said. And it really does mean a lot to us because a passion of what we do, like there isn't anybody who sits in this room and does the podcast or comes up with content ideas that isn't like in love with the sport and everything at the affiliate level and the community. So when we pour our hearts into something and we get the appreciation like you just had, just gives us fuel to keep doing the same thing that we're doing and go there. And what's great is getting back into doing some of our training camps like post-COVID, we can start to develop that relationship with our new members again, or the people that are following the blog, you know, that come to visit or do whatever. 
because that is the like, with everything that we've talked about so far is the recipe and there's no seasoning on it. That's like final thing, that final sprinkle that I think separates us from some of the other competitors. We really enjoy that personal connection to really bring everything around. Yeah, absolutely. I know I've talked about this on this podcast before, but it's something that I do think about anyone who is involved in running any business, the importance of being involved in the community in which they are being of service to and how important that is for you as the guy who's running the show, who's doing all this stuff behind the scenes, how relevant it is to your fulfillment that you actually get those touch points, that you actually get the communication and the in-person interaction with the individuals that you're impacting. Because if you don't get to have that, then like your cup's not quite full. And that's not fair because you're doing some really hard work. And so I hope that you continue to prioritize getting fed back. Yeah. So is there anything, I've got a couple of other questions I want to be sure to ask you, but is there anything in particular that you would like to speak on, on the topic of programming, coaching, anything like that, that I haven't asked you about that you'd love to say? So I did skip over the intensity piece a little bit. And when it comes to, you know, we talked about that, that seven day week, and there's typically for a lot of people, the two rest days, and then the five days that they're on, I ask for intensity daily, but I try to teach that intensity comes in different forms. The, if you're learning a new skill, the level of focus that it takes to really understand the skill and work through it and know that you have to back off either for five minutes or 10 minutes or a day or a week and then come back to it. There's a really high level of intensity to that focus. There are workouts where you're going to be going for longer and your heart rate is going to stay a little bit lower and you're going to have to stay a bit more smooth in the workout. That's sort of intensity of precision of I am going to have quick transitions from movement to movement, but then I'm going to stay really calm and sort of work through the movement and breathe and do all that. So we try to teach athletes that we need intensity in every single thing that we do, but it is of a different brand. The idea of 2005 to 2011 CrossFit of like, I'm going to run as fast as I can into that wall and then I'm going to hit the wall and fall over and just sort of get up and do it again. There were some good attitudes that came from that. It worked for building your physique. But then when the sport came around, it was like, this is not right. right. <laughs> this is not right at all. You know, and I came from the sports <laughs> background of every play was a few seconds long. So I came in with all fast twitch and no endurance whatsoever. So, I mean, I was the champion at the first round of a workout and then not so much after that. So again, having that mentality of I am going to be intense because it's not really worth doing it unless I am, but knowing what brand of that to bring to the equation is really important because pull up versus a back squat versus an assault bike sprint versus a 20 minute CrossFit workout is just all so completely different mentally, physically. So we try to make sure that athletes know when and where to really let it fly and when and where to be strategic about what they're doing. Yeah. And that reminds me of something I've said enough times recently that has been commented back at me. That's like a been positively impactful is I try to talk to my athletes about just focusing on the thing directly in front of them on those like longer pieces. And so recognizing this is a longer piece and my heart rate does need to be lower, but then like, all I need to do is accomplish the thing directly in front of me. And then once I've completed the thing directly in front of me, then I just, then I can focus on the next thing directly in front of me. And if I repeat that, I'm quite capable and I'll actually get there. And if I think about all of this stuff ahead of me, then I'm just overwhelmed and I can't stop thinking about all this stuff that I'm not even to yet. 
And so just bumping it back and like, okay, I'm just going to do the thing directly in front of my face. And once I'm done with that, then I'll do the next thing directly in front of my face. And then boom, what do you know? You just like your capacity. So that's something that I enjoy thinking about with that stuff. Of course, I like the longer pieces, but anyway. (laughs) Okay. So thank you for touching on that because I think that it is important. And so what is something that you feel that you are doing well that you would like to do more of or do better? Oh, something I'm doing well. So I would say, of course, on a personal level, it goes to me that, you know, right off the bat, but on a personal level, I tried to prep for a marathon during the summer and found out that the longer, slower work, especially done in the morning, because I was trying to avoid the heat, was a real game changer for me in terms of sleep, staying even keeled throughout the day. I really just felt so much better on a physical and mental level. And now that I don't have the thing out in the future dangling, I still try to do that, but I don't make it as much of a priority as I should. So on the days that I do get up early and I come in and I do, you know, a session on, you know, we have a mezzanine in our gym that has all the concept two machines and a sauna. If I come in and do a longer session, I do sauna and I stretch. I'm just set up mentally just to absolutely crush it the rest of the day. The piece of it that I need to improve on is knowing that the thing, you know, the carrot in front of me or the thing that I am chasing is just feeling better throughout the rest of the day. And then the more that I do that, the more I create the habit and continue to do that. So I am getting better about doing it and I do see the benefit from it, but I need to be, I definitely need to be better about like, like I have to put it in my calendar basically. And I just know, you know, sort of the alarm goes off and what's the first thing that's on there. Oh, I've got 90 minutes to go hop on the C2 bike and then get in the sauna and do some stretching. You know, that's sort of when I'll do that. Yeah. But that has such a profound positive impact on your day that it's worth those minutes to do that thing. Yeah. I'm a completely different person for the rest of the day. If I do that first and I always, the ego was attached to, I don't perform well in the morning, so I'm not going to work out in the morning. And it's like, what is my goal here? What am I trying to accomplish? You know, I want to feel better. I want to live longer, you know, that sort of thing. So the old athlete identity in me is like, my score doesn't compare well to some other person or doesn't compare well to how I would do if I did it at 3 p.m. And it doesn't mean as much to me anymore as the other side of it, but it doesn't mean that it isn't sort of buried in the back of my head. Yeah. Cause at this point you're training for longevity and for actual, like, exactly. just like health, you know, that's where you're at. And so those things now I just randomly want to ask you, do you ever do cold therapy? I mean, you live in Maine, so your life is cold therapy right now. <laughs> Yes. I've been into the cold therapy for a super long time. I don't remember when Tim Ferriss started his podcast, but it's been pretty close to, I actually think that I was maybe even still in college, 2009, 2010. And, you know, he did the four hour body and started with doing some of the cold shower stuff. And we have the the horse trough out in front of the gym here. And certain times a year, it's more used to make sure that athletes core temperature can get down. And then in these months, it's very much used for getting very cold. It's not hard to, you know, you can go in the snow if you need to, or you can just leave the water in there and it'll get plenty cold. So yeah, I'm a really, really big fan of cold therapy. What do you feel like you've gained the most from choosing to do that? So I am genetically predisposed to having issues with dopamine. So whether that be on the end of being more predisposed to ADD or depression, 
or on the other side of it, sort of novelty seeking. You know, I have to be careful about staring at my phone too much or binge watching television, things like that, because my brain loves it. It just gets sucked into it. And I get that massive, you know, just sort of like, you know, anybody else would get like a blood sugar spike, very susceptible to that. And it was good to find that out through some like genetic testing. So I find that that is, I don't seek those things as much on a day. So if I do it in the first half of my day, I don't seek as many of those things throughout the day. My mind doesn't go to, we're fiending for more dopamine, get out the Instagram, see if there's any comments or likes or that sort of thing. So I would say that's probably the biggest difference for me. And it can definitely be if I can't find the time to do the things that I talked about with the machines and the sauna and the stretching, it can be something of a placeholder for that. Like if I need bang for my buck in three to five minutes, doing that is really important for me. So still have a lot of those internal conversations where fill in the tub at home or I'm here and I'm just staring at it. Like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I just know coming out the other side, I feel completely different. Like it's really hard for me to get into a bad mood after getting into an ice bath for five minutes. Yeah. I was not planning to ask you about that. And I am so freaking glad that I did. I love your answer there. And it's so important. I actually going to just tell you this. So last week I got the opportunity to do a shoot with Tim Kennedy, which I've looked up to him and it was with 5'11". Anyway, do you know who Tim Kennedy is? Yeah, of course. Stellar dude. Anyway, great. Just like better in person than on the internet. And he's already so great there. Anyway, in the shoot, it was cold outside and I was getting sprayed with water (laughs) and in some shorts and tank tops. And anyway, I just like in that moment was like, I am so glad. I also call myself seasonally wimpy. I do not like to be cold, but I do this cold therapy all the time. Neither do I, and for some reason I live up here, so I get it. The fact that you guys are in Maine stresses me out because I actually would love to come see you guys, and I think it's, I mean, but I've never been to Maine, so maybe. (laughs) It is a very beautiful place. Don't come here between December and February. Other than that, amazing place. Yeah. I will come up there. I definitely, it's, I'm going to come see it. I know I've heard it's beautiful and you guys are there and I truly do want to meet you guys. So we'll get that. Although I guess maybe we could take care of that in Miami. Probably if you guys are going to Waterpalooza here in a couple weeks, I will be there. Cool. See you then. (laughs) So, okay. I like to also ask you for three things that you are grateful for today. So they don't compete with each other, but they're two opposite concepts. So I got married in 2012 and from I would say 2012 until 2000, maybe 14, 15, the idea of my wife not being super into CrossFit and like the CrossFit games and stuff was like a point of contention. And as my responsibilities grew and as my days, you know, my work days stretched to be longer and longer, having this group of incredibly passionate people here to work with every single day that I'm close with something that I'm so grateful for. So that would be one. And then going home and having this oasis in this place where we've got our three dogs and we have a really special relationship ourselves and having that to go home to and sort of wipe the slate clean and talk about her day, talk about different things and not talk about thrusters and pull-ups and all this different stuff is such a like great gift for me. It allows me to reset and it allows me to unwind and actually be able to go to sleep without thinking about all this stuff from work. So those would be two things that used to be competing forces that now are sort of like the yin and the yang. They go so well together. 
And then I would say just because of the last few years with everything around the world that I'm pretty, the perspective that I have on my personal situation, where I live, the opportunities that I have, my health, my relationships, like just the life that I get to live. I think it's really important when you are working a bunch of different jobs or you're stressed out, you're doing all these things to have moments where you do fully step back and say like, I do have a really good situation. And if I acknowledge that while I'm working through challenging things or stressful things, I'm probably going to be a lot more motivated and get a lot more out of this. Yeah. I love it. Also shouts out Drew's wifey. (laughs) That's so (laughs) cool for you to have that appreciation and respect. And I'm sure she is the MVP and I love seeing beautiful relationships that understand that the work is worth it. So that's dope. I'm glad you touched on that. So three things that I'm grateful for. One, I am grateful this this time of year and some stuff. It's, it's New Year's Eve is a couple of days away. And with that, some things come up for me. I am grateful that I, one, understand that I have a different reaction to alcohol than most and I am an alcoholic and that I do not have shame around being open about sobriety. I'm just grateful for that because I completely understand that for many people, there's a lot of shame associated with it. And for many years for me, that was a very shameful thing and I just didn't get it. And so now to finally be like, to just not feel that feels peaceful. So I'm grateful for that. I am grateful that this time of year also is accompanied by the fact that a lot of people do a lot of reflection and do practice gratitude. And that's just something that I am grateful for is the opportunity to reflect on the previous year and to think about what went well and what we can get better on and all of those things. And then also I am just grateful for time. And what I mean by that in this moment is that time has this unique ability to heal things. And as I've walked through some things in the past year with a ton of change, just how relationships and things like that, like time allows for things to actually just for your own perspective to heal. And so I'm grateful for that. So anyway, those were totally off basis of this entire podcast, but they're relevant to my life today. So So great. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. So where can the audience find you, support you? What are you up to next? What do they need to know about? Yeah. So for CrossFit programming, it's going to be misfitathletics.com. We have our, our hatchet program on there, which is for, you know, sort of what we call open and quarterfinals athletes. And there are scaling and equipment modifications. If you've got a garage gym or, you know, you're scared that you're going to need this gymnastics movement or the weights that we're called for are going to be too heavy. We're going to have that stuff built in there for you. And then if you're, you know, are a, a higher level competitor athlete, the MFT program is there. And of course we have, you know, sort of teens and masters programs. If you're a gym owner, teammisfit.com is our affiliate programming. We have a, a really good team that runs that. And there's some pretty amazing coaching notes that are attached. So it's not just here's your workout, but it's here's your workout, warm up ideas, things to work on with your athletes, class flow, all that good stuff. And then our apparel company is Sharpen the Axe. That's just sharpentheaxeco.com. And our supplement company is Proper Fuel. And that is properfuel.co. Awesome. All of that will be in the show notes, guys. So all the ways that you can find and support them and get yourself some goods will be all in the show notes. Other than that, I would just like to encourage you as the listener to follow the show wherever you're consuming it, rate and review it, share it with somebody that you think it will positively impact. If there was something that you got out of this that resonated with you, I would appreciate it so, so much if you would share it with someone that you think it will help. And other than that, I just appreciate you, Drew, for your time coming and spending it here. If you guys want more of him, you got tons of it on their podcast. Go get after it. 
and guys just have a beautiful day.